their very lives are at stake. We see this to be true in the well-known case of Berta Cáceres in Honduras and here in Costa Rica as well. An important bravery leader, Sergio Rojas, was murdered in 2019 for defending territorial land. And then less than a year later, indigenous Boran leader, Jerry Rivera, was also murdered here in Costa Rica. Welcome to another episode of Save Our Planet. I'm your host, Stephanie Septemb, and today we are joined by Brittany Dr. Vilhauer in Costa Rica. She holds a doctorate in peace and conflict studies from the UN-mandated University for Peace and did her doctoral research in the Bribri Kikoldi territory in the lower Talamanca region of Costa Rica. She has a 10-year relationship with the Kikoldi Bribri people and has conducted extensive research on the effect of Red Plus programs in their territories. Brittany, it is so great to have you with us. To start with, could you tell us a bit about what the Red Plus program is? Yes, Red Plus is an international forest financing strategy being negotiated right now within the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or the UNFCCC. It was designed from a national strategy here in Costa Rica called Payments for Environmental Services, where the essential services provided to us by the forest are monetized and invested in in order to ensure those services are secured. These are important services like providing us oxygen to breathe, maintaining the equilibrium of the water cycle, and in the focus of Red Plus, sequestering carbon that contributes to the greenhouse effect, global warming, and climate change. So while Payments for Environmental Services was a national strategy here in Costa Rica based on a carbon tax, Red Plus is an international forest financing strategy where industrialized nations fund the forest, particularly in the tropics or in developing nations as they're often labeled. This program was conceived of by the United Nations and is supported by them, is that correct? Through a process of consultation with indigenous groups and through the experience of the Payments for Environmental Services program here in Costa Rica. Simply by reading or listening to the United Nations advertisements of the program, it appears the Red Plus program firmly supports both environmental and human rights. Is this true in practice? Well, in theory, yes, there has been a great amount of effort demonstrated to take into account the rights of indigenous people in particular, as many indigenous territories or forests protected by indigenous peoples would have the potential to be enrolled in Red Plus. However, we also see vast outcry against the Red Plus strategy from important indigenous voices around the world, decrying Red Plus as a farce when it comes to true indigenous participation and respect within the strategy's approaches. Let me take the case of Costa Rica as an example, which is where I did my research through the UN mandated University for Peace with the indigenous Bribi people in the lower Talamanca region. Costa Rica has developed an extensive consultation mechanism to be used when developing policies that would affect indigenous people. This is to fill Costa Rica's legal requirement to free prior and informed consent of the indigenous people as Costa Rica has ratified the International Labor Organization Convention 169 known as the Indigenous and Tribal Peoples Convention. 
And with Red Plus consultation mechanism in Costa Rica, the government has developed a cultural mediators program to ensure that indigenous people understand Red Plus in culturally significant ways and that they can consent to Red Plus in full understanding of exactly what they're giving consent to. However, consent and autonomy are two different things. The indigenous people do not have full autonomy to consent to the Red Plus strategy when millions of dollars are at stake through forest financing. Some background info, the government of Costa Rica is indebted to the indigenous people as the government has never fulfilled its legal requirements to indemnify and restore usurped indigenous land to the legally demarcated territories through the Costa Rican indigenous law 6172, which was passed in 1977. That is over 40 years that the Costa Rican government has failed to provide the funds to buy back the stolen lands and return them to indigenous people. The Minister of the Environment, Carlos Manuel Rodriguez, told me in the UNFCCC pre-COP summit in Costa Rica in 2019 that Red Plus would provide the funds for indigenous people to buy their land back themselves. So while Red Plus seems to be contributing to the indigenous right to land and territory, it is outlined in Article 26 of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. In reality, it is providing a farce which would allow continued government impunity and broken promises for indigenous peoples. Rather than the government fulfilling its legal requirements to the indigenous territories, the Costa Rican government is trying to pass the buck off to the indigenous people themselves to fund their own land recovery through forest financing funds received with Red Plus. As you've said, indigenous activists have been particularly vocal about the potential harms of the Red Plus programs to their communities. What is at stake for them? Their very lives are at stake. We see this to be true in the well-known case of Berta Cáceres in Honduras and here in Costa Rica as well. An important bribery leader, Sergio Rojas, was murdered in 2019 for defending territorial land. And then less than a year later, indigenous Boran leader, Jerry Rivera, was also murdered here in Costa Rica. Juanita Sanchez was one of my main research collaborators in the Bribri Kekli territory in the Southern Caribbean coast of Costa Rica. She is an expert in the field of Red Plus and raising indigenous cosmovision and indigenous perspective in the conversation of how to implement the strategy here in Costa Rica. She is also one of the few remaining elders of the Kekli territory who knows the Bribri language and cosmovision. It has been her life's work to teach both the language and ancestral stories to the young people of Kekali and to defend her territory's land and cultural identity. Juanita said that since she was young, the threat of death has never gone away. Never. She said, when I was young, 20 years old, I began to work in my territory. I began to hear the threats. Since I was young, since I was aware, I heard threats. Furthermore, the cultural genocide suffered by indigenous people with the erasure of ancestral wisdom and practices by, by modern Western understandings of carbon sequestration, etc., is a threat that is constant and ubiquitous, even beyond the realm of Red Plus and its effects on indigenous peoples. Your research is centered particularly on Costa Rica, which has received a lot of international praise for its inclusion of indigenous rights in its constitution. But in practice, does Costa Rica live up to the high bar it sets for itself? 
Yeah, Costa Rica has a pretty extensive legal framework for protecting indigenous rights, as I've mentioned, with the Indigenous Law 6172, um, establishing the territories and the ratification of Convention 169 of the International Labor Organization, and even the great efforts in recent years to codify the Indigenous Consultation Mechanism for receiving consent from Indigenous peoples for the development strategies. However, this is not what Indigenous people have been asking for. The Indigenous Autonomy Law proposed by Indigenous peoples has stalled in Congress for decades and has never been reviewed or ratified. The National Plan to Recover Indigenous Territories, which began with a consensus to determine what usurped land needs to be bought in return to Indigenous territories, does not have sufficient funding to actually recover those lands and is therefore rendered useless in the eyes of Indigenous peoples. The president of Costa Rica, Carlos Alvarado, said in his State of the Union address this past May 2021 that he would commit funds in the 2022 national budget towards the national plan to recover indigenous territories to buy back those usurped lands. This marks an important step towards a different approach than what the Minister of the Environment had said in 2019, that the indigenous people would have to buy back the lands themselves. However, the indigenous people of Costa Rica are also accustomed to an endless string of unfulfilled promises and they are not celebrating yet. So a common theme in many of our interviews is that even when indigenous communities win a court case, implementation is slow or non-existent. In Costa Rica's case, how is the Red Plus program being implemented? It appears that in this case, implementation is actually happening. Yeah, since Costa Rica already has its own national forest financing strategy called Payments for Environmental Services, which I mentioned before. This was implemented in the 90s. So a long time ago, the transition to an international forest financing strategy should be relatively seamless. In fact, for forests protected by non-Indigenous people in other regions of Costa Rica, the transition should be relatively smooth. But as we know, the previous UN Convention of the Parties, COP25, which was held in Madrid in 2019, was declared a failure as no agreement was made in how to finance forests on an international scale. So Red Plus on a global scale is fluctuating and uncertain. Costa Rica, however, is moving forward with their national Red Plus strategy, preparing to receive private funds internationally for forest financing and celebrating the cultural mediation program for Red Plus in indigenous territories as a success, even while it remains incomplete at this time. Now, based on what you've seen, based on your own research, what is your opinion of the Red Plus program? Indigenous territories in Costa Rica rely a lot on the funds received through the National Payment for Environmental Services Strategy to fund territory needs um, through the Development Association. Um, the management of these funds in Indigenous territories is distinct from private, non-Indigenous landholders who also receive funds through the Payments for Environmental Services Program. The Indigenous people of Costa Rica were able to decolonize the Payments for Environmental Services Program in the early 2000s so that it would not adversely affect their territory through inappropriate Western approaches to forest financing. And the leaders of this process were um, in the territory where I did my research and they were actually participating in the research with me as well. Red Plus is passing through a similar decolonization process where 
Indigenous people have proposed five special Indigenous themes to be implemented in the Red Plus approach in Indigenous territories in Costa Rica. These five themes are land tenure, healing, and an, an Indigenous payments for environmental services approach, and protected areas in Indigenous territories, and integration of Indigenous cosmovision, and participatory monitoring. But once again, many Indigenous people see all of this fanfare as just another farce. You know, climate change and global warming and the destruction of the planet is an immediate, um, gigantic problem that needs solutions um, implemented now, um, implement, implemented years ago. It's, it's as we've seen in the recent Intergovernmental Panel, Panel for Climate Change report, we've, we're on the, the brim of the brink of no return. And so strategies need to be implemented now to offset or to um, help bring us back from that brink. Um, but that onus needs to be on the developed nations to change our ways of living. You know, the, the major number one polluters can't just rely on paying people in the developing world to offset their pollution. Um, and, and experts don't like to call Red Plus an offset strategy, but in practice, that's what it is, where industrialized nations are paying developed nations to uh, refrain from deforesting in order to, to help maintain that carbon sequestration that's needed. So um, Red Plus itself is not sufficient, a sufficient strategy or not a su sufficient uh, solution, but it, it could be a, con a contributor if the Indigenous people are able to maintain their cosmovision and, and, and their understanding of the forest and the non-human beings present within the forest, if they're able to still maintain their subsistence farming within the forest when Red Plus Forest is typically labeled as untouchable. So there's a number of things that need to be considered, particularly with Indigenous groups for Red Plus to be effectively and respectfully practice. But I, I do believe it's possible to come to come to an agreement to work together. There has to be a desire for holistic well-being for the entire planet, not just pay someone else off so we can keep polluting, so we can keep destroying. Based on your own connections to the Bribri in Costa Rica, what are their opinions of the Red Plus program? Does it impact them culturally in any way? Juanita talks of the importance of maintaining the ancestral ceremonies to purify the soul and to save the indigenous people from immense suffering. Juanita uses the term cultural genocide to describe the loss of language and ancestral knowledge in the territory because it is a direct result of the active and intentional colonization of indigenous territories and traditions. Speaking of forest financing strategies, Juanita says that she believes it is okay for Indigenous people to accept money for the forest. She says their idea is to care for the forest, to buy back land that has been deforested, and to care for it again. The money from Red Plus needs to go to recover territory and healing the land so that the forest is permanent. However, she also says that Indigenous people have always cared for the forest. That is who they are and that they would continue to care for the forest, whether they received money or not. Gloria Mayoraga, who was another very important collaborator of mine in the territory, um, contributing her experience in recovering indigenous knowledge and language and customs and traditions, shared that it was her life work to um, help support indigenous, indigenous identity 
and to um, teach the young people who they are and where they're going so that they don't get lost in their future. She said that if we're going to do something, we have to do it well. We go to the people. We go to the state, to the government that has to support us, um, that the state has to pay for Indigenous teachers to give classes to recover Indigenous language, customs, cosmovision, and food. She said that today the Indigenous people are not in good shape. We're losing our language, losing everything that is ours. We need to die immersed in that which is ours. When my ancestors died defending their land, when the colonizers came, they will be proud of me that I was not useless in their work. And unfortunately, Gloria passed away this past July 2021, doing just that, defending her language and defending her land, defending her people. Thank you so much for sharing these words. Even though we weren't able to have an Indigenous leader join us for this conversation, I really appreciate you sharing their stories and their voices so that that can be the center of our conversation. Is there any last idea or any last thoughts that you would like to leave with our listeners? I really appreciate the opportunity to share on this podcast. Um, I would say seek the ancestral wisdom that's available to you um, from Indigenous peoples or from um, those pueblos originales from Aboriginal tribes, from First Nations people, however is appropriate to refer to them in your region, um, Native Americans, wherever you're listening. Um, refrain from marginalization of those knowledges and, and understand that that wisdom has, has kept their, their people groups alive and thriving for thousands of years. And so that knowledge and, and, and that those approaches to caring for the forest are, are who, the experts that we should be looking to uh, before anyone else. It's very important to me to thank the Bribri people for their collaboration in my research and their continued resilience in their centuries long struggle for peace and autonomy in their territories. They are an inspiration to me in my life. Weste, weste, jamita. Brittany, thank you so much for sharing with us today. As the Red Plus program is gaining momentum, it's extremely important to elevate the voices of those who may be negatively affected by it. For more information about the impacts of the Red Plus program, see the links in the podcast description. You can also learn more about People's Planet Project's work to prevent deforestation by following us on social media. Tune in next time for our podcast on land grabbing in the Congo.